0: You're listening to a Time Machine podcast. Old Movie Time Machine, an adventure through time and or space. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Old Movie Time Machine. This is the show in which we use color films made in the US of A between the years of 1945 and 1965 as windows into the past. We open the windows, we climb through the windows, and then we explore the world and the people in that world beyond the window. And while we do this, we're going to be asking ourselves some critical questions, such as all these people in this world beyond the window, who the hell are these people? Who are they? What are their habits? What decisions are they making? How are they treating each other and why? And ultimately, the most important of all the questions, uh, what are they wearing and what do their living rooms look like? And then at the end of the show, we climb back through the window to modern times and we ask ourselves the final, vital, ultimate question on behalf of all of humanity here in the early 21st century, which is, hey, you guys, (sighs) This movie that we just watched, The World Beyond the Window. Do we keep watching this thing? Is this one that we uh, dust off maybe, I don't know, once a year and pop it in and, you know, pop it in like it's a disc or a VHS tape because that's how media works these days. Do we pop this beta tape in and press play year after year? Or do we just casually drop it into a garbage can and then casually throw some quarter pounder with cheese wrappers on top of it and just let it be taken off to the dustbin of history. We will find out. I'm your host by the way, through time and or space, Justin Zeppa, joined as ever by my panel of international experts at being humans in the early 21st century and also the smartest person I know starting on my left and ending on my left. She's coming to us from across the ocean. She is my sister and yours, Carolyn Narrows. Welcome to the program, sis.
1: Hey there.
0: Well, we knew that it... uh Uh-oh, somebody's somebody's sipping Bloody Marys on a Sunday morning.
1: Well, this is a Sunday sibling-sode.
0: Yeah, this was inevitable that it would come down to this. Now, we made it over 40 episodes before it came down to a pure sibling cast which is what this is. This is brother-sister, 100%, not even step or half or anything like that, just straight up, we grew up in the same house together, and now we're Mm. talking about these shitty movies. Here we are.
1: Here we are. (laughs) There's
0: not much more to say about that. (laughs) No. So, I'm just hanging with sis here. the same
1: house, the same genetics.
0: Yeah, right, right. I mean- that's what all the science says, anyway. I mean, we're hard pressed to believe it, but uh, the results keep coming back uh, <laughs> our that we are did related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who could believe it? Um, but here we are. It is a it is a Sunday uh, afternoon over here. Sunday morning for Carolyn, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what else I like about this podcast, Carolyn, with no other guest members of our panel here. Uh, I'm in my pajamas. It's a pajama cast. And also, I'm sitting in my comfy television chair because I can do that. So, this is the most reclined I think I've ever been while well, doing a program. So, if I sound extra relaxed or if I nod off, you're just going to have to you know, have a dog bark. Wake you up. Yeah. And we will continue <laughs> with the program. Excellent. Which today, Carolyn and listening audience, uh, the, the Noirs of March. March on. <laughs> still <laughs> hanging in there with... The Noirs of March. We're talking this week about the infamous color noir from 1955. It's called Violent Saturday. Carolyn, have you ever seen Violent Saturday before?
1: I had not seen Violent Saturday before, and I quite enjoyed it, actually.
0: Okay, interesting. Do you have a one-line review? I mean, we mustn't forget
1: Yes. Um, So, my one-line review is that Violent Saturday is a film about some bank robbers casing a town which is not as pristine as it might seem on the surface.
0: Mmm. The The townspeople
1: have their own secrets.
0: They certainly do. Bradenville, right? Isn't that what it's called?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: Uh, And I've got here, written on the wind meets the killing, part heist, part boozy melodrama. There's a lot happening in this. There's a lot of characters in this film. Now, when I say happening, I'm using that term very loosely because it's a lot of people thinking, (laughs) standing and thinking, considering, weighing their options. Do I steal this purse at the library? Do I walk around the corner and peep on uh, the local nurse? Do I? You know, it's a lot of people being faced with these really challenging decisions. Do I have an
1: affair, even though my husband loves me?
0: Right. And does the husband have an affair, even though the? uh, Well, I mean, he can't. He couldn't if he tried. uh, Most likely, because he's got a problem.
1: Right. Low sperm
0: count. Um, (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Did you you hear that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Whispered on the wind. Yes.
0: Sperm. out. Most likely. Poor boyd. We'll well we'll, we'll find out. We'll, we will find out. Um, okay, so any general thoughts before we get into our walkthrough, our blow-by-blow?
1: Yeah, I actually thought that this was a film that showcased a lot of different types of masculinity.
0: Indeed. From yes.
1: this time period. Yes. Um and sort of the challenge, interestingly, sort of some of the challenges that that men face in terms of how their wives perceive them, Mm -hmm. how their children perceive them, how other men perceive them, and how it's sort of just like, they seem like fragile babies
0: a little bit. Yes, there's certainly that element to them. But um, also
1: strong. It just – I feel like it showcased both sides of
0: masculinity. Yes. Or
1: like a more multifaceted version.
0: This movie talks about some things that we rarely see, I guess. It, it gets surprisingly real for what is essentially a genre film, you know, a heist movie. Like there are moments, you know, you know the Shelley Martin story I found to be very powerful. And the way he yes. handles that and the way – He speaks with his son about that. and
1: Right. I mean, like, this is a man who obviously fought in World War II, you know, has – it seems like a good marriage
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and And some success and uh, a son. And he really, like, has very emotionally touching conversations with (laughs) his son in a way that I feel like we haven't really seen or that, like, the man in the gray flannel suit kind of, like – Takes us almost there, but not all the way. Right,
0: right. He wants to go there, but he needs to know that he has the security of his family to and their support, I guess, before he can let mm-hmm. himself go there. Like,
1: mm-hmm. that whole
0: movie is Gregory Peck just being like, I need you to understand this. I need to be able to talk about this. Right, right. And here it feels right. like they've had that conversation. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is that this is 10 years after the end of the war, and this is still a very – front and center issue for these families, which makes me think that this is something that probably most veterans of the war right. were experiencing throughout.
1: Most households in America yeah. were probably experiencing. These, and mm-hmm. I, one of the things I think that is probably bringing this up and probably at the time also brought it up was the children that were born after world war II coming to some sort of understanding of, of, mm-hmm. What what happened? This yeah. war? You fought in a war? Right.
0: And what did you do in and the war, dad?
1: What did you do? Yeah. And I heard so-and-so's dad did such and such. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids get competitive and they're like, my dad can beat to your dad. The like, kids are the know, worst. Look.
0: They're awful. So, this makes total sense.
1: Right. And so, I have a feeling that I, – and I kind of give this character credit that he's able to have those conversations with his son – his like 10 year old son or you know whatever like 9 year old son and then like you can almost see that like there's going to be several other conversations as that child grows up at like 13 Mm -hmm. at like 16 at like 18
0: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely
1: and And certainly when that child goes off to fight in like Vietnam when they're drafted
0: yeah right (laughs) and which is inevitable you know you know that (laughs) happens right and (laughs) I guess I'm not laughing at that it's surprising that Shelley was as comfortable with his own understanding of his role in the war um which we'll find out as we talk about the film here we will talk more about that but he he's fine with himself and the role he played and that right. comes through now he to a degree because he also kind of throws himself down a little bit by being you know that devastating line about Dads wanting to be heroes and all that. We'll we'll talk about it, but uh, yeah, I agree. We, we're seeing this. That's a great call. A lot of different forms of masculinity in mid-century life here, right? Coming through. So,
1: I also think the women were were interesting and multifaceted as well. I mean, I can't just ignore you know, or just say that it was only masculinity because we had women at different stages in their life. Women who are. Yes. Stealing to cover the bills, um, as, as well as angelic nurses and cheating right. wives. Yeah,
0: yeah, we're getting – and then also wives who stand by their man. Right, even when the, exactly. Yeah, right.
1: It had a lot more than you would think with this genre. And having not watched it before, I was really – I was actually really impressed
0: with it. Oh, well, that's great. I'm so happy to hear that. Okay, so we are opening 1955's Violent Saturday with Shots – of a copper mine, always a guaranteed way to grab somebody's attention. I'm sure. Mining. Yeah, mining. People loved strip mining back in the day. This was uh, this was hot Drilling. news. Yeah, absolutely. A uh, big, heavy machinery moving rocks around, and they say it's a copper mine. But I'll tell you, when they're dumping those big truckloads into that train at the end of the movie, uh, I mean, it looks like just a bunch of dirt to me. I am not. <laughs> I'm not a geologist, nor am I a miner, <laughs> but. Uh, that's just what I see is we're just moving dirt from here to over there. Uh, But I do like the framing of these shots of the mine. We're seeing the big heavy machinery in the foreground and we're seeing a tiny man in the distance, waving a flag to another man who's also waving a flag and he's tucked away inside the heavy machinery and he's setting up a detonator and they blow off the side of this uh, mining area. And then we get violent Saturday. Here we are the best mining action you can find. In 1955 Is only seen in Violent Saturday So we go to Downtown Bradenville, And right away We're seeing A bunch of things That you know That I love uh, Number one We're seeing a big old 1950s bus here Headed to uh, Bradenville From the Or headed into The Tri-State Bus Depot At Bradenville, Notorious for its Tri-State Bus Depot But also a great opportunity Since we're just Entering this world To check out The Hat Index Just take a look Because uh, It looks hot down there You know It looks like uh, yes. typical dusty deserty type of weather. So what we're seeing here, though, is of course it's the 1950s. Nobody can be comfortable. Everybody's wearing heavy coats, full-on woolen suits. Uh, we have one, two, three, four, five, six. I think it's cold
1: in the desert, depending on what time of year seven, you're there. Eight,
0: nine. It's like ten out of twelve people are wearing hats at the tri-state. Bus state uh, bus depot of, of Bradenville, so that's a very high hat index, and we knew that. I mean, this this tracks with everything else we've seen. Yeah. Um But also, just a surprise. Look here, we do have a, a representation. Watch. Uh, I was going to say that there was nobody who was not a white person in this movie, but here is a gentleman wearing a pretty sick jacket too, also looking to get on the bus and get the fuck out of Bradenville. <laughs> so there yeah, he is. I
1: mean, as one does. Does mm-hmm.
0: not have a line. We never see him again, but we see you right now, sir. Here's to you. Uh, Flat caps off to you. But who's arriving on this bus to Bradenville who gets off the bus, but a man that we come to know as Harper and Harper gets off the bus with nothing but intrigue in his eyes. And he walks past the local bank and is almost hit by a woman driving a red convertible with some golf clubs next to her and they exchange a glance. So it's like, hmm, I wonder if she's a player in this motion picture Who will reappear. Um, Let's go to the bank. Let's go to Bradenville's local downtown bank branch. And we're going to go there with Harper, who is casing the joint, as criminals would like to say. And we get a shot of the interior of this bank. It's a lot of uh, deeply stained wood in this bank. And we get a shot of Harry Reeves, the bank manager here. Now, I took this shot in particular, not for any reason – Other than the fact that we get a great example of this thing that we see in banks, which is this little wooden wall and this little panel door that flings open and closed. And I just wonder, why do bank managers feel like they are so worthy of having a little wall between them and the rest of the bank? Any thoughts on that? I don't know. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Some semblance of privacy, I guess, if you're over there or talking with the bank manager, but –
0: It's an early example of the open office concept, I guess. Yes. So you're accessible. But look, I just need you to know that I have my space over here. If you want to come into this space, you're going to have to pass through this little door. And if you're going to pass through the little door, I'm going to see you because it's so little. And if I see you, I'm going to ask you if you should be in my space passing through the little door. So just everybody know that. You stay over there. Me, Harry Reeves, I'm going to be over here. And he is checking out something. Or is he checking out someone? Someone. So we watch as Harper watches the same Harry Reeves, who is, let's call it for what it is, ogling Linda Sherman, the nurse we just saw, who comes in to do some bank business. He cannot take his eyes off of her. And even has to be sort of beckoned over by one of his tellers of like, uh, Mr. Reeves, the the bank vault, the very obvious bank vault over here has has reset. It needs to be, you know, manually re- locked up or something like that, which is part of a bank manager's duties, apparently. So he does that as well. Harper's just watching all, he's drinking it all, and he's like, I got to figure out how this bank vault works. I want to get in there. I want to take some of that stuff. And he does. And while he's doing that, Dill is casing the rest of the town. He runs into a kid, and he uh, breaks this kid's hand when he (laughs) drops his afrin puffer thing and uh, then he also goes and, and loiters outside of the, the local cop shop, the the, uh, the substation. But he steps outside of the library right into a major boy fight. There's no other word for it. There are no girls here. It's just a bunch of boys tackling and screaming each other at each other. And uh, I took a shot of this because one of the things we like to do, is, of course, what are they wearing, right? And I want to see what Eight or nine-year-old boys of 1955 are are dressed as, and again, we've we've mentioned this in the past, but they're dressed a little like their dads. But what I really love is we're getting just all these leather shoes. I mean, these are totally these kids' dads' old shoes. They're all way too big. They're all scuffed and worn and everything. Uh, Now, one of these kids, Stevie Martin. That's right, Steve Martin. Uh, he's wearing what appear to be either Converse All-Stars or PF Flyers. So he's wearing proper sneakers. But the rest of these kids, they look like they just stepped out of a board meeting. They've got these old dusty brogues on. But, you know, take a note. So leather shoes, still very in at the time. And uh, so this fight, uh, Harper watches the, as the fight unfolds. And we see one of the kids, Stevie Martin, fighting his best buddy, George. Bud. And as they're scrapping who should roll up, but a man named Shelly Martin, the father of young Stevie Martin. And he, you know, they they all, him and the police kind of pull them apart and everything. And he has a little great dad moment of, uh, all right, you want to tell me what's going on here? And Stevie's like, no, not really. And he's like, all right, well, you're the boss. So why don't you head home and we'll talk about it later, which is just a great way. He is so cool and collected Shelly Martin, who is one of our stars here. We're kind of, you know, he's one of our, our heroes as we find out soon enough. So from here, we follow Shelly to his job at the local copper mine, which we open the picture with. So we're familiar with this place. And at this point, the trains are running late and some of the trucks are broken and he's just got a whole bunch of like work bullshit happening. And uh, people are calling about their late shipments of dirt and all of this and we see we get a, a shot of uh Shelley's office here very nice of course a big thing at the time the era as we've seen is uh, wall calendars very popular at the time it's a heyday for wall calendars if you need your your noir blinds here they are just just a little yeah. bit in the corner here and of course you know I love this old timey uh water jug glass the, oh, the, water tank. I love the glass water tank. so good we see these hilarious pictures of his children, one of whom is just screaming. Uh, apparently, if you go
1: back up to the top of the bookcase next to him, do we think that's like? It's got to be a
0: thermos, right?
1: A thermos. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. It
0: looks like it's uh, leather bound, though. Possibly very nice. Mm, I mean, So
1: maybe it's some equipment, though. Could
0: be some. Oh, yeah, I'd like to think he's got some chicken noodle soup in there. That's what I think. He's treating himself today. <laughs> what a what a friendly guy Shelley Martin is. So, from there, we go to see the bad dudes. Of course, I'm talking about Harper, Chapman, and Dill. And they are hanging out in their hotel room, which, again, is a, a, an explosion of dingy floral patterns. We've seen this in countless pictures at this point, but this was just a design aesthetic at the time. Please, I need to get some new wallpaper. Please make it dingy. Please make it monochrome. Please have there be lots of flowers, a dizzying it's amount of flowers. just hide the stain. I guess so.
1: And the smoking stains. Yeah, it
0: is. Oh, it does have that patina of nicotine that's just been layered on it. You're like, oh. Uh, And this bedspread, like, how musty and dusty is this disgusting bedspread from the 1920s? Hideous. But they have a plan. These guys, they're hatching their scheme, and all we, the audience, need to know is that they have to get into the bank five minutes before the bank closes for lunch, or the safe will close again. So we've got that logged away. And from there we go to Shelley Martin arriving back at home, where which his home overlooks the beautiful mine he works at. So that's something that's a sight to behold, of course. But it does look like a nice house. Uh, and his wife is there, and they discuss the fight that Stevie had in town. And she says that he isn't quite ready to talk. Uh, but his little brother comes out with this broken picture frame, and we get a nice close-up of this Certificate of Merit that Shelley won uh, during the Second World War. Uh, it even says in World War II here. So they were really branding World War II even back in the day. Uh, oh, yeah. And this is uh, from March 1944. And what is a, is really interesting, I thought, maybe it's not, but this same format of certificate from the presidential seal at the top to this like foil – raised seal on the side here. This is identical to the Presidential National f- Uh Academic Fitness Award that you would get in <laughs> elementary school. <laughs> like the same <laughs> font, the same layout and everything. Like and that's we're talking, you know, easily uh almost 50 years later and we're still printing out the same shit uh for all of our federal awards and certificates, I guess. But it looks the same. This was hanging up next to my bed for fucking years. It's so bizarre to see it here. <laughs> but there it is.
1: With it with its embossed symbol. Oh, it
0: seems so o- official. Anything. Yeah, raise that seal, please. A seal is great. But if you can raise that seal, even better. And here's where we start getting some insight into who Shelley Martin is and what the deal is with young Stevie Martin. And he's like, yeah, okay. this Now this is coming together for me. This makes sense. Georgie's dad won a medal at Iwo Jima. And I got a picture frame, is how he puts it. And so he he sort of, he, he understands and accepts this. You know, like th- this is his response to it. It's like, ah, this makes total sense. And I get it from the boy's point of view. We'll talk about it later. Now, from there, we check back in with Harper, who is out visiting the Amish farm where we see Amish Borgnine again. And... He makes up some lie about his car broke down and uh, can he use the phone? And they're like, well, we don't have a phone, friend. You know, we're, we're Amish. And, uh, but we do have this tall glass of chili milk if you want this. So he drinks some milk out in the countryside with his family and, and just cases the joint, as they say, in the underground. And he's delighted that there's no phone. The technology is minimal. Like, this is the perfect spot for him to do something. So we go back to Shelley Martin's house, and he goes in to check up on Stevie, who's who's laying in bed. And we get to see Stevie's bedroom, which is kind of cool. It's a pretty sick room for a kid of this era, I think. Uh, he's yeah. got, you know, he's got a full-on clipper ship model. He's got himself an American football. He's got himself a clock radio plane. with a bi, yeah, a propeller plane. It's awesome. It's great. He's he's living a good life. And here is Shelley talking to his boy about. The deal with the picture frame. And he thanks him for sticking up for his reputation in the fight earlier. And he explains that like, look, uh, I did what the government asked of me. The government asked me to keep running the mine. So, this is where I feel like he never actually see, he didn't see any action. He probably wasn't even shipped abroad at this point. He, he was just right. part of like the domestic... Military industrial complex that was happening at the time, of course, all over the country. Uh, We're going to take your car factories and we're going to build tanks, so on and so forth. Same thing at the mines, I imagine. But he's like, this is what... They
1: needed metal.
0: Well, of course they did. We've got to build those tanks. Right. Copper tanks. Um, But he explains this and he's very honest about it and... Again, very empathetic to where Stevie's coming from and to a a point where he is almost apologetic about it. He's like, you know, I understand why you're frustrated and I just hope you know that all dads want to be a hero to their son. But some of us- Yeah,
1: it's a really emotional, touching
0: conversation. Some of us just don't make it, he says. Like, oh man, this is devastating. The war was 10 years ago. And he's living with this as many were at the time. Now at the hotel, our criminals in training and waiting—they uh, can't sleep, or at least Dill can't sleep. He's—he's he's real nervous, obviously. His breathing passages are are clogged with all kinds of uh, anticipatory snot and bogies, so he's having a hard time. Desert and pollen. What's that?
1: Desert. The pollen. desert.
0: Famous desert pollen, of course. It's allergy season. This poor guy—he's dying.
1: Some people are allergic to
0: that. I, I understand. Hey, I've—I've I've got it. I don't know what's happening over here. I don't know if it's the lupine or what, but it happens. It is real. And so he sneaks his way into Harper's room and they have a little boys chat, I guess, like where he starts.
1: He like wakes him up and he's like, I'm going to sit on your bedside and um, I'm afraid and I'm yeah. nervous. And he's just go to sleep.
0: And he's musing about what skinny happened? women that he's, he's had romances with. Right. And... Yeah, this, it doesn't really come to much it, other than Harper being like, yeah, go to bed. I got it. But they, they, while they're chatting, they look outside and they see Harry Reeves walking his dog in a very suspicious manner. And they're like, who's this guy out there, like, casing our joint? We're the joint casers over here. Who's this guy casing our joint? And Harper's like, go to bed. It's a man walking his dog. But of course, Harry Reeves is acting so peculiarly because he is outside walking his dog with an ulterior motive. And he leaves the hotel area and wanders into what appears to be late 1930s Krakow. I mean, this is a really bizarre, <laughs> uh, very uh, dirty, ill-kempt place of conflict, back this back alley. alley. Yeah, right. And it's, it's pretty rough. But we see eventually why he's sneaking around in the back alley. And that is so he can do some peeping. He really is a watcher, folks. And he is watching Virginia Laith, a.k.a. Linda Sherman, the nurse, uh, undress before bedtime. And this is he's just standing out there with his dog and his pathetic boner watching this woman next to some garbage cans. And while he's peeping, of course, who should roll up but Elsie Braden from the library. And she has got the, the,
1: purse the incriminating purse with her. <laughs>
0: And she has chosen this exact same moment of um peeping coincidence to drop off the the results of this purse. And for whatever reason, Harry Reeves feels like, and this is it's truly a man's world in the 1950s. Don't tell me it's not because this is the saddest of all men uh, hiding in the shadows, peeping at a at a nurse, and he still has the the balls to step out of the shadows to be like, "What are you doing with that purse?" What are you, stealing money? This is outrageous, woman. And, But of course, Elsie, you know, she's quick and she puts it together.
1: She's like, what are you Yeah, doing? she's like,
0: yeah, why don't you call the cops as I look up to this hotel and watch this half-naked woman that you're clearly perving on. Yeah, yeah, you call the police. I've got some things to tell them as well. And Harry Reeves, he's, of course, no man to speak of uh, in any kind of decent sense of the word. So he just, he's like, all right. We'll call to draw and and everybody just kind of (laughs) wanders back to their shadows. Back
1: up and goes their separate ways.
0: (laughs) Hey everybody, Jay-Z here, breaking in, interrupting myself, most likely, or my sister, she's used to it. I wanted to give you the call to action of the day, which is The Boom Room. Now, we reference this sometimes in the show, but what we're talking about is our Patreon page. We call it The Boom Room. It is where you can get twice the content that you're getting here on the free feed that's right every movie that we talk about we go scene by scene so if you listen to this free version and you feel like something's missing well it probably is and it's probably over on the patreon so for two dollars a month which is nothing you guys you're worth it look at you you look great you look amazing over there you've got two bucks you can spare a month For us, two bucks a month, and you get twice the content ad-free, of course. You don't have to listen to this bullshit right now. So we would love to see you over there. And if you do join us, you know I'm going to thank you, just like I will right now. Here's a taste. Hey, listener, you. Thank you. And now back to the show. What a night that was. (laughs) Violent Saturday. What a violent Friday night that was. Lots of action. That
1: was a big Friday night. My goodness,
0: but... Thankfully, it's now Saturday. And I think Saturday is going to be better. I just have a feeling it's going to be, you know, peaceful, serene. But we open on Shelley Martin, who is leaving a fishing store, and he's going to go, you know, go fishing, as you do in the 1950s. And at this p- – Yeah, that
1: was his peace offering, to get the boys to
0: That's go. right. But I feel like the boys were like, yeah, you know what? Keep the fishing. It's fine. And he's like, well, I want to go fishing. <laughs> and he went and bought stuff anyway. Right. That's the impression that I get. So while he's loading himself into the car, who should show up but Harper, who, and we had heard the guys planning the night before, they just need to find a reliable vehicle and take it. And that will get them out of the city or town or whatever and over to Amish Borgnine's farm. Now, as they pull away, as Harper gets in, shows him the gun and is like, don't be an idiot. Just drive the car where I tell you. Let's take a look at some of these storefronts, huh? We've got signature loans over here. Family finance company loans. We've also got the Lyric Theater, which is showing Captain Fury, and also a movie called Prairie Gunsmoke. Also, some cereals and, and also cartoons. cartoons. I want to go to the Lyric Theater. That sounds great.
1: <laughs> and then, we got a Sears. And we got a
0: Sears. Look at that Sears still in business. A heyday for Sears. But now we are on the main streets. The heist is officially begun. And stolen, a vehicle. stolen the vehicle. And they uh pick up Dill and Chapman, who are again just kind of standing very obviously on a corner. And they drive out to the country to meet up with their hay truck getaway driver. And they blindfold Shelly and Amish Borgnine and family are just sort of uh Boy, they are baffled at what's happening. <laughs> it's the, all these vehicles, yeah. these machines show up with these guys in their hats and their bad attitudes and their guns and their hostage. And maybe just looking at these guys right now, they look pretty cool, I got to say. I mean, a heist is a good look for men of all ages, but especially in the 1950s. And so, they take Shelley and they take Amish Borgnine and his family And they tape up their eyes and their mouth. They gag and blindfold them. And they stick them up to the hayloft inside the barn and remove the ladder so they can't escape. And then they return to town with the stolen vehicle ready for the heist. So it's all been set up to this point. But here we are, Carolyn. Are you excited?
1: I'm so excited.
0: But before the excitement begins, let's get a cup of coffee. Let's go to the local drugstore and sit with Linda. Linda. As she just tries to be a woman in the world. Now, look, she's, a, she's an attractive woman. She's very charming. She has an amazing voice. And she has a right to exist in society without being harassed by every man who uh, catches sight of her. But unfortunately, as we They're can awesome. see here, she's being flanked at the drugstore. We've got Harry Reeves who's following her, standing behind the paperback novels. Now, I did want to point out over here, we do have a copy of Rope on this uh, uh, stand over yeah. here. With Jimmy Stewart, it looks like, on the cover. So, got some some film branding there. And boy, it's just great to see a drugstore. I mean, whatever these red tins are or yellow tins, whatever they are up here stacked, they've got plenty. they got a lot of backstock of whatever's in those tins. Yeah. yeah. But who else should roll in while Harry's perving on Linda but Boyd, who has a new lease on life. And he's Because order-
1: he's going to take a trip. Yeah, he's taking a trip with Way the missus.
0: Got to stock up on not one, not two, but three cartons of cigarettes to get through that vacation. And as he does, he connects with Linda. There seems to be no bl- bad blood between them. The proposition is off. She gets the deal that like, oh, okay. So he's trying to piece together his marriage again. Good for him. And while they are discussing this matter, who should also walk into the drugstore? But Chapman, who goes to the phone booth and he makes a call, which is his part of the plan, which is, hey, call the cops, let them know, fake a traffic incident and have them leave the shop. And then that way, nobody's in town. We know we know where they are and we can go so do our robbery. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All of Bradenville. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very high ratio of uh, police to citizens over there. So then we go to The bank. And here's where shit's really going to hit the fan. But first of all, we need to take note of the fact that according to all these wall calendars, it is officially violent Saturday the 12th. So Mm -hmm. it's happening. I mean, it even says today is Saturday the 12th. So not just a clever title, it is accurate as well. And we see Emily Fairchild. She's getting some traveler's checks from Harry Reeves over at the bank for their big trip. And she runs into her golf partner. And she makes it quite clear that, hey, I'm going to piece it together. And he deals with it fairly well. I mean, they're all, he's like, okay, I guess you are married. Fair enough. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, and
1: then she sits down with Harry Reid. Yes.
0: And we must note that everybody in town is banking on, <laughs> Saturday. on a Saturday. Everybody needs to do it. It's very busy. And also, very true to life. And I'll tell you what I like, Carolyn, is the fact that this bank has weekend hours has weekend opening yes. uh, you know it's not just the lobby it's not just the ATM it, it is you can go there and do some legit banking and I appreciate it because guys I don't know about you but I'm at work all day. When am I supposed to do my banking? I'm leave the office and go do banking no way I am do it on a Saturday a violent Saturday. So anyway that's what's happening here. Everybody's doing banking in town. We see uh, who shows up. Elsie Braden shows up and she's going to pay off her debt and throw that in Harry Reeves's pervy face. And we see, yeah, uh, Fairchild's there.
1: So the whole cast is pretty much assembled.
0: Yeah, they just all funnel their way into the bank. And Chapman, Dill, and Harper all show up. They close the blinds behind them as that was their plan. And they lock the door and they wait for the safe to open at noon. Or no, to you know, whatever the deal is, something happens at noon. That's they're, they're waiting for that. They can get into the safe, and while they start robbing the safe, uh, Harry's eyeballing. You know, weak Harry Reeves. He's eyeballing the gun that's in his desk drawer. Which, if I am the three criminals, I will be checking the bank manager's drawer for either the button, right, the signal to the right. the police, or for the firearm, which I know that somebody in this building has. It is a bank filled with money somebody's got a gun but they're just time is of the essence so they just go right for the vault they fill up their bags harry makes a move for the gun he gets blown away and emily stands up because she's so surprised and she gets blown away so what was once a very peaceful saturday is now becoming a violent saturday and meanwhile uh, the rest of the town is queued up outside they are hammering on the doors
1: Because they heard the gunshots. Well,
0: but there are also no fewer than 20 people just lined up to do banking at Bank of Bradenville. Maybe it's gunshots. I think these people were – they wanted to do some transactions. I think they wanted to move some funds around. I think everybody here was looking to either take something out or put something in, move something from here to there. And so they're like pounding on the closed doors. Hey, bank, wait, you know, you're supposed to have weekend hours. And like you say, the gunshot's probably an alert as well. Right. Uh, Harper, Chapman, and Dill all run out and they hop in the car and they head back to the farm. Now-
1: Of Amish Borgnine. Yes.
0: with uh, <laughs> Proprietor, Amish Borgnine, who is, again, <laughs> still taped up with the family and Shelley Martin, and we cut back to Shelley, who is doing some good hostage heroics by sort of exploring his space. He can't see. He almost falls out of that hayloft. That was a real uh, heart in the throat moment.
1: Yeah. And then he backs into uh, a barn beam that has an exposed nail that he uses to like pick
0: Peel that tape off, off. his
1: blindfold. Oh, so dangerous. And then his – right. I'm like, oh, my God. He's going to calling
0: doc, Dr. Tetanus over here. Can I get this man a shot? Right. Yeah. But he makes it and he is able to then take off his blindfold as well. And he goes and scopes the scene and he sees Slick outside waiting by the hay truck. And Slick's got himself a, a shotgun as well. So, then he schemes to like, okay, we got to get this guy in here. You know, there's no other way down from the hayloft other than the ladder, which has been taken away. So he lures him inside the barn. And I forget what was his excuse for for why he needed to come up there? Usually it's like uh, you know, I got a sick man here. Open up the prison doors or you know, whatever. But he, he's yeah, there's some it excuse. Was. It doesn't matter. The slick does come in, he's like, Voices, what's going on? And he and he uh gets a barrel, a very heavy barrel thrown on top of him, and he dies. So uh, Shelley Martin's body yeah, cart count now at one, and Amish Borgnine, of course, hates all of this. They, you know, the family is uh, ungagged in all of this, and he is very sad to see uh, the fate of Slick, <laughs> the shitty truck driver. Even though his and his family's life is in danger, he is, and and they are threatening to burn the barn down with them inside. Uh, he believes that it's just a matter of God's will, whether they live or die. But Shelly Martin, boy, he's been around the block a couple of times. He's like-
1: He is not going to yeah, take this life.
0: no. I've got the shotgun, so I'm going to make the most of that. You can hang out here if you want to. And they are about to leave the truck, uh, leave in the hay truck when Harper Chapman and Dill show up. And then we have this standoff where- they understand that the hostages are freed. They have the shotgun. Slick is nowhere to be seen. We got to write him off right away. And the shooting starts.
1: There's fire. Yes.
0: So they threaten to the – They they drive Shelly's car into the barn. They put a rock on the accelerator and just drive it in. Then they set fire to the gas tank. So the barn only has the one exit, we're, we're told. And so it is now on fire. So Shelley has to act, and he wastes Harper uh, through the door. He, he carves out a hole, and he blows away Harper. And then he's shot by Dill, who is about to finish the job. When who should show up behind him? But Amish Borgnine with his pitchfork, and he stabs yeah. Dill right in the back with it. Just just stabs him dead, and it's kind of awesome. And Amish Borgnine has mixed feelings about it, as he will, of course. Um, but he is the, the man standing, and...
1: I thought it was a, you know, a big moment. This is sort of like – I think also his reaction, Amish Borgnine, mm-hmm. as a father to his child being shot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And – oh, okay. So –
1: He's like – I think it sort of makes him realize like if I don't stand up and protect my family, no Yes, will. this
0: Yes, is, this is the – again, the complicated masculinity we were referencing earlier right. of where he's right. now faced with this terrible situation <laughs> – Uh, How do I defend my castle here with my family? And he does what he needs to do. And there it is. Uh, Chapman is also shot, by the way. Actually, the the death count goes, Chapman is shot. Shelley shoots Harper. Dill shoots Shelley. Amish Borgnine stabs Dill. So... (laughs) We're now towards the end of the movie. This is uh, the big finale. We're closing. Yeah, in. this is this is it. So they make it as far as the the farm, and no further. And so then we flash forward at least a day or two to you know the aftermath of this terrible violent Saturday, which we've now seen the violence. It's true, people. Um, violence is here. It's it's uh, in the offing. So Harry Reeves comes to in the hospital. So unfortunately, when he was blown away in the bank. Uh, making his move while they were trying to empty the the vault, he does not die. We're sad about that, but he does have a new lease on life and a new lease on his peeping, and he's reevaluating some choices that he's making regarding his uh, illness of watching people undress while they don't know it. And who should be his nurse, of course, but Linda Sherman. And he tries to make a confession to her of of being a perv, and she's like, yeah, I I know. I know you're a perv, but let's not – Let's move on from your perviness if if you can, and you go home to your wife for fuck's sake. And the,
1: I thought she was very magnanimous in this entire scene where she's totally. like, You don't need to you don't need to oh you, you want to. Yeah.
0: Okay. I'm um, believe me, I am aware. I have I have five senses and I'm aware right. that yeah, you and you're a man and I am a woman, and this is how it is. Which is sad because again, she should have a right to just exist in the world without dealing with With the pervs. But here we are. And Linda then goes outside to catch up with Boyd, who is ruining the death of his wife. So Emily was shot and killed during the heist, we find out. And he is trying to just piece it all together. And she listens to his hopelessness and how they were planning on having a family together. And now that's just gone. And he cries, which is...
1: And I mean, he's like... I need you to go away because I don't want you to see me like this. And I just, I was like, "Wow, okay." He's
0: weeping openly, and and again, the masculinity question comes in, and this is something that we rarely see, you know. And it is for somebody who has been painted as a real boozy cad throughout the entire picture to see him be a human being and acknowledge the loss of his uh, his loved one uh, in such an open and emotional fashion. Very not 1950s, but here it is. It's real, folks. Drink it in. And then we go to Stevie, who goes to see a recovering Shelly Martin, who is in hospital as well. Is he, he's in the hospital, right? Uh, yes.
1: yes. He is in the hospital because he's in the – he does some wheelchair stuff. That's right. There is <laughs> – <laughs>
0: <laughs> Glad you called it out. And uh, Stevie comes to see him and he's so proud of his dad now for having wasted all these bubzos and save the day. He was the only one who did it, who did anything. And so Stevie then invites Georgie and the rest of his, his dude gang into the room, and they're all so proud and impressed. And Shelley Martin says that he was scared, but also that being scared is okay. And so concludes 1955's Violent Saturday. Well, here we are. What a ride, sis.
1: I mean yeah. Let's let's get into the, the details. Yeah,
0: yeah, let's let's do some some uh, some business here. Let's get into our admin. Carolyn Melrose 1955's Victor Mature's Virginia Lathes Violent Saturday. Yep. Do we keep watching this?
1: Yeah, I think we do for a lot of reasons. Okay, oh, sh- please um, share like I said at the beginning, I think that this has you know uh a lot of different types of masculinity um I think even the uh, female characters are also very multifaceted mm-hmm. and Um, it's a tight movie. Like you said, like there's really no excess to it. Yeah. Everything is like fits together nicely. And, uh, it's a, it's a pretty quick watch and cinematography wise. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. It was, it's, uh, it's a very well put together film. Uh, There's a lot of uh, purpose and and talent behind it to frame these shots. It looks amazing. (laughs) And Carolyn, I agree with you. Uh, This is a yes for me. And oh, I wasn't quite sure I, I, yes. I'd seen this before, but it's been uh, at least a year since I've seen it. So I was curious as to what this, you know, having been through the experience of watching well over 40 of these now, like what, what the, the contemporary take would be. But yeah, I, I like this. All right. And I, I agree. I think the 90 minute runtime really helps because there was certainly a cut of this movie that's like two hours and 20 minutes, which I do not want to watch. It's too much. But they really managed to launch a lot of storylines and then land most of them. You know, the only one that I feel right. like is is lacking is the Elsie Braden story.
1: That's probably the two-hour version.
0: Probably, yeah. Although she does play some kind of role in Harry Reeves's peeping when she <laughs> when they discover each other's little <laughs> secrets. But uh, right. you know, there's probably something more there. But agreed. I think you know, as far as like this type of heist movie goes. Pretty good. I like uh, some of these characters. Shelly Martin, I think, is a great character, a great leading man. Again, talking, you know, is very articulate in dealing with and expressing the feelings that veteran men of this era would be experiencing with their families years later after the war experience. So, Yeah. yeah, it's a keeper. Great. I love it. Violent Saturday. Who knew? And that concludes 1955's Violent Saturday. Well done. Let's look at- Well done, us. (laughs) Sister, we did a great job.
1: (laughs) We're we're, we're so good.
0: Next week, we are concluding The Noirs of March. Dry your eyes. I know. It's very sad. But we're going to go to 1956 because, again, chronological order. Next week's episode is going to be about a film called a Kiss Before Dying. A Ruthless College Student Resorts to Murder in an Attempt to Marry an Heiress. Starring Robert Wagner, Jeffrey Hunter, and of course, Linda Sherman slash Best Friend Claire, Virginia Lath. Coming back at you next week wow. as the Noirs of March uh, finalize themselves and we wrap up this miniseries. So I look forward to that. Carolyn, I hope you're there. We will find out what's yeah. up with Virginia Lake in 1956. How's she doing? We're really charting her progress as well uh, throughout these films. We are. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining, sis. I appreciate you. My pleasure. And to hair. the rest of the gals, of course, on their behalf, we you know, you. we say hi to you, listener, from them. I assume they're playing uh, baccarat somewhere uh, and um, smoking I'm very sure thin are. cigarettes and drinking. Uh, boozy cocktails I, ho- I hope they are so we'll find out maybe maybe next week they will be back we will, we will see some
1: boozy cocktails from right
0: me. actually <laughs> it is uh, about that time 30 over here so with that being said I'm going to throw it to myself in the future take it away dude oh thank you so much past self well done siblings nice to hear from you But of course, you let us know what you think of the episode. Write us at partyline at com, and send us uh, anything you got, anything on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. Now, next week, we're going to be watching 1956's A Kiss Before Dying. And this is available for you in a few spots. So you can get caught up with that film before next Wednesday's release. It is available for you for rent or buy at the following locations. Apple TV, Amazon, and Voodoo. Oh, Voodoo, so mysterious. Anyway, check that out. Get caught up, watch the film, and then listen along with us next Wednesday. And until that time, please never forget that this has been Old Movie Time Machine.